0: Good evening everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dentist Who Infest, official podcast with your host James Martin. We've got a very special guest with us tonight, you may have seen him on the group beforehand. He is someone who's very well qualified to talk about something that affects each and every one of us. Some people say, I'm sure he won't be offended when I say this, it's not exactly what a lot of people would call an exciting topic, no offense intended, hopefully none taken, Not at all. Not at all. I don't don't mean that in any way to be offensive whatsoever. I find it interesting (laughs) personally. I I find it interesting personally, but I know that there's the connotation out there that some people uh, may not necessarily be that way inclined. It's very, very, regardless of whether we find it interesting or not, it isn't quite irrelevant to every single one of us, and this is why I thought it might make such a good podcast. There is the old saying, there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. How many times do you hear that joke a day, Mike? Oh, uh, thousands. (laughs) To be honest, I do lots of presentations, and I I use it as as the start of the presentation. Oh, I see. That makes me feel much Absolutely. Well, you're very polite and (laughs) hoovered me, at least. Do you know my last name is Martin, James Martin, Okay. So, can you see where I'm going with this? The chef? Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. So S- Saturday to, morning. The, the, yeah, Saturday morning, that's the one. So, look, every <laughs> single, I swear every other patient makes that joke, and I have to pretend it's the first time I've heard it every single time. It <laughs> so does wear slightly thin with time, but I don't mind it too much. I think that might be something similar for you. But anyway, regardless of all of that, his name is Mike Bryan, and we're very pleased to have him on the show. How are you tonight, Mike?
1: Thanks, James. Yeah, very well, thanks. You, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said accountancy can be dry. It's, it's quite a hard topic to speak to. But um, as you mentioned, tax, unfortunately, is probably the biggest expense everyone's going to have in their lifetime. There's not many dentists out there that um, even those practice owners, tax is probably a higher expense than actually their practice costs. And if you look at a, a professional career, they tax it when you earn it, tax it when you sell it, tax it when you die. Um, And ultimately, it's um, going to to form a massive um, uh, impact on everyone's life.
0: So, so, so important. And this page, this group is primarily about investing, but you need to have the capital in the first place to be able to invest it. And we're not talking about avoiding taxes by no means whatsoever. We're merely talking of tax efficiency, of course. Back in stuff, Mike. So yeah, as we've already established, it's something that affects every single one of us. I thought it might be nice for you to have the opportunity just to introduce yourself to the listeners because they may not necessarily, of course, know you. I just wanted to know a little bit about yourself, your journey into becoming a, you know, an expert on taxes and why you decided to help us dentists.
1: Yeah, thanks, James. Um, so uh, a back, bit of background on me. I, I graduated from um, uh, accountancy in uh university of canterbury Christchurch in 2010 um and then i've worked in accountancy practices for the last 10 years um trained in uh practice uh, in east sussex three years got my chartered accountancy accountancy is a weird subject anyone can call themselves an accountant james if you wanted to tomorrow you could call yourself an accountant it's, right. it's very true yeah it's uh, unregulated to the point unless you wanted to call yourself a chartered or a certified accountant and if you want to call yourself one of them, you obviously you need the qualification. That's really
0: but. interesting because I did always wonder why on accountancy websites and uh, you know professional you know buildings and whatever and what have you businesses it says specifically chartered. So I wondered what yeah. that distinction meant. So there you go.
1: Yeah, and um, so it's unregulated to. to to a point where you should just check that your your accountant has the relevant qualifications. Like Look, that. you you walk into a dental practice, uh, you expect that your dentist has has the right qualifications. I suppose it's akin to facial aesthetics in a in such a way that there's a bit of a uh, uncertainty on who who can actually practice facial aesthetics nowadays. Um, anyway. Um graduated 2010, training contract, uh, chartered accountant in 2014 and then moved to Humphrey & Co, um, which is the firm I'm a partner in, uh, in 2014 and been there ever since. Worked with GPs when I was training, um, which sparked my interest in superannuation, in, uh, you know, the quirks um, that, that medical and dental accountancy has, because there is a genuine speciality there. It's, it's not like, um, you know, some specialities where it's more of a marketing technique. Actually, dentistry, healthcare, medical, there is there is a need for a specialist. Ruth um, Humphrey and Co. Humphrey and Co. Uh, we act for now over. 1300, 1400 dentists nationwide, I think. So, we're we're one of the largest dental accountants out there. Um, And then I've just bought my portfolio up for for the last six years to now um, acting for for a few hundred dentists in my portfolio, supporting them from newly qualified dentists, you know, going through their FD year, working out how to first set themselves up as sole traders, all the way up to. Corporates, only multiple practices, selling practices, uh, re- inheritance tax planning, retirement planning and all of that stuff. So holistic approach all the way through.
0: Interesting stuff. Was there a reason that you chose to pursue specifically dental accountancy as a speciality or was it just something you kind of just fell into it somewhere along the line?
1: Yeah, I fell into it more than anything. I think the, the, the tra- training firm having the GP um, kind of speciality, started my interest in health care um Humphrey and Co being dental orientated maintained that interest um and now my my partner is a, a doctor herself so um you know as as an accountant i act for probably 75% of my portfolio is um is healthcare and 75% of that portfolio is dentists so i'm not dedicated to dentists full stop i've got property investments plumbers electricians weird and wonderful friends and family in there as well as you do um but yeah dentistry is very much the the main um the main speciality for me
0: excellent stuff on the topic of dental accountancy let's get into the nitty-gritty of what we came to do today i want to know i'm one of those people now i have i'll give you a little bit of an anecdote about me just to kick off, I had an accountant, but let's just say for one reason or another, I decided to go separate ways from him. I didn't really believe he was competent. I originally had an accountant who was part of, now I can't remember the exact name of the association, but it was something along the lines of the Guild, the Guild, okay, Specialized <laughs> Dental Accountants UK nationally. I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe somebody who's listening
1: would let, be able to let me, me stop you there, James. Yeah, it's, on, probably, you probably yeah. it's probably, it's probably NASDAO, the National Association of Specialist Dental Accountants and Lawyers.
0: Yeah. I knew it wasn't guild, guild a bit medieval, <laughs> but I knew, I knew it was something like that. So he was part of this community or this organization, yeah. And I went to see him and I was thrilled with the guy. So you paid a little bit more, but he knew. All the ways that you could, you know, all the exemptions, all the ins and outs of what I need to do. And I was just a foundation dentist at this point. So he said, when you get to this stage, you can be prepared to expect this, blah, 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 stuff like that. Talk me through it. And his business, it got sold to another guy and then he retired. So I went to see this new guy and we were talking about, we had our little to and fro about, we, we had a meeting to, before I filled in my tax returns or before he did them for me, just to get my pay slips and things like that. And then he he kind of rounded it off and he finished the meeting and I said, aren't we going to get on to my exemptions? And he said something along the lines of, oh, I suppose we should. Yes, what exemptions have you got? And I I was telling him the exemptions, okay? Yeah. I was telling him. And he was writing them down. And as soon as I was saying, you know, what about laundry? What about my laptop? What about my GDC? And he obviously hadn't heard of any of these. And he, it got to the point where he was saying, oh, that's a good one. Didn't think of that. And I just thought, <laughs> why am I paying? <laughs> why am I paying? Yeah. And this chap, I noticed that the prices were exactly the same as well. So rightly or wrongly, I went my own way this year and I did it myself. Okay. Now, it seemed to be fine. All right, I wouldn't necessarily, it's nice to have the reassurance of an accountant 100%. Yeah. Why do you think, what do you see most often in terms of mistakes that dentists make when they fill in their own forms that you as an accountant have to rectify and where are the pitfalls that we may go wrong? I mean,
1: ultimately doing your tax return is absolutely fine. OK, I'm shooting myself in the foot here. It's a self-assessment regime. You can honesty. log in. No, I
0: appreciate that. Thanks for your honesty,
1: man. That's, good. That, that's, that's, all, that's, all I'm, that's what I'm about, to be honest, James. Um, it's a self-assessment regime. You, you assess yourself or you appoint someone to assess it for you. OK, before self-assessment, HMRC used to assess every taxpayer. You can imagine how laborious that was. It was, it was a, a rubbish system. And um, the self-assessment regime came in, which means it's up to you guys. And go back to when you were a foundation dentist. It's up to you guys to ensure that you file an accurate tax return, okay? And that means that it is correct. Um, And I can pretty much guarantee that as an FD doing your first tax return, you're going to miss out things. That's not the be-all or end-all. Look, if you miss out on some expenses and you overpay tax, HMRC don't care, trust me. (laughs)
0: Um, because in in fd of course your tax is already accounted for through your fd practices accountant but yeah yeah. purely on the exemptions there you don't have the first clue or at least i didn't when i was an fd you're quite right
1: exactly but then you step out the fd shoes into the associate position and very quickly you need to do all the dentistry but you need to run your own business as well now don't get me wrong and we'll touch on this in a minute as an associate being self-employed life's actually pretty simple yeah, you haven't got to chase debts really. I mean, okay if you've got a if you've got a, a principal that's not paying you okay, maybe you have to chase that, but you haven't got to chase lots of debts from your patients. You haven't got to worry about VAT returns. You haven't got to um worry about um you know where the next money's coming from. Generally the life's quite easy. The bank bank balance generally goes up unless there's a pandemic. Um <laughs> and associates can tend to relax a little bit. Um but going back to to the point. Um Doing your own tax return, you probably will end up overpaying. Um, that's my assumption, OK, because you're probably not going to include all the expenses you're entitled to. Now, the obvious things you'll include, yeah? GDC, indemnity, courses, conferences. But there's some things that you may not include. Uh, laptops, iPads, cameras, macro lenses, flashes, but also, you know, mobile phones. But you can't cl- include all of that especially we're talking mainly about sole trade dental associates here um a mobile phone for example you may only use 50 percent of the time for business 40 percent of the time for business you may not be entirely sure and that's when your accountant comes in and says well james if you're thinking 30 to 40 percent business use let's you know let's err on the side of tax relief and push it to the higher bits." it's a judgmental thing but then you've also got to know that you can't claim certain things you're you're um your income protection insurance your general clothes you know the the amounts of times i see an associate or (laughs) let's go to a consultant in harley street um of claiming his two thousand pound hugo boss suit every single year against his tax return he has (laughs) to wear that yeah of course he has to wear that to show um his clients that he's you know what, what he's all about um But that's not tax-deductible. That's not protective. It's not branded uniform. And HMRC will not allow that. And that's where your accountant steps in. Your accountant says, no, look, if HMRC uh, look at this, they're not – it's against the rules. You cannot claim that. Now, you as a dentist, you're not going to know that. You may know it, but generally you won't know it. So your accountant will then just – dampen down your enthusiasm as to what you can claim make sure he's acting in the most best interest for you look my number one job is to make sure my clients pay as low a tax as legally possible the legally is a very important word yeah we're not going to break any rules um, but we'll make sure we're claiming everything you're entitled to claim and then things like james you may have not if you've done your own tax return this year things like use of homer's office so you know, the the, the more uh, work you do at home, the higher, the higher the amount you can claim. We claim an estimate for all of our associates because we understand that our associates will be doing CPD costs. Uh, so CPD courses, research, looking at the tricky patient. Um, you know, if you're doing Invisalign, uh, there's a lot of planning that comes hand in hand with Invisalign. And therefore, you may be doing your planning at home um, and therefore you can maybe increase that use of home as office.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, it's about being justifiable. Look, if you do um, you do maybe an hour an hour a month at home, then you've got really small claim to make. But if you're doing say a day a week on planning and Invisalign treatments and other you know specialist areas at home, then actually we can look at increasing that claim to make sure you're paying as low a tax as possible.
0: Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled the seven costly and potentially disastrous mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentisoninvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues, however, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. That's really interesting that. One I'll throw on top of what you've just said, the original guy that I went to, apparently your Christmas presents are tax deductible that you give to your staff members, should you so wish as well. One, Was he wrong? Was that right? Well, as an
1: associate, no, because they're not your staff members. Oh, that's the problem you've got. You're self employed and they are not your staff members. As
0: as a principal, then maybe.
1: As a principal, absolutely.
0: there There we go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you get these things called trivial benefits for principals, um, which is an excellent relief. Uh, if, if any principals are watching or any associates that operate via a limited company, if you haven't heard of um, trivial benefits, bring up your accountant and get them to explain them to you, because trust me, I can get you tax relief on wine or... Anything else that's under fifty pounds in value, and I think if you take anything from today, take the fact that you can get tax relief
0: on wine. There you go. There's a myriad of things there. The Christmas dinner <laughs> one was really, int- uh, the Christmas dinner and Christmas present was a really interesting one that I learned about. Yeah. I'm sure there's like a hundred more, but that one seems to stick in my mind. I wanted to ask as well. When dentists come to see you, obviously we're not necessarily financially literate. If you could yeah. tack a list on the door, and you said on that list, please read this before you came in basic terminology that everyone could do with using what would you put on that list
1: well that's a great question i mean i'd probably start with with companies okay and um, uh-huh. for an accountant a company would indicate that it is registered with company's house and it is a legal entity and therefore it's a limited company okay um as a sole trader i would say you're a business you're not a company um again it's a small thing but it's a thing that that tends to be um uh, mentioned incorrectly in, in the dental world you also look at um the taxes out there the amount of times i speak to someone about uh the income tax that they can save when they claim this expense um and then they somehow translate that into vat um which are two very very distinct and different taxes uh just a basic understanding of of I mean it's I mean it's complex but the, the tax systems I mean for VAT purposes dentists are exempt The VAT doesn't come into to dental unless you're a facial aesthetic practitioner and then it may do um but for VAT it's just a cost to you income tax is what you pay that's your dare I say painful expense every January and, and July um yeah, and that's the biggie like, isn't it yeah um biggie. that and uh, yeah and uh, I mean, they're the main ones, to be honest. Terminology is—if um, you have an accountant that understands dentistry, then actually the client doesn't need to understand accountancy because you can tend to, to to work on the same wavelength. And I think for me, that's the most important thing because we get what you're what you're talking about already, and we can correct you if if, if necessary.
0: Speaking of income tax, what are the bands mm. these days? Because they seem to change a year. Changing every year is too frequent for me to keep up. Let me tell
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> well, rest assured, 1920, the, one, the tax return that everyone should have filed by now or is going to file in the next six weeks. Um, and 2021, the current tax year, year we're in now, actually not a lot's changed. And it's the first year that not a lot's changed in quite a while. Um, but prior to that, the personal allowance keeps going up. Okay? So the personal allowance now is 12 and a half grand. Anyone, not anyone most people can earn twelve and a half grand paying 0 percent tax and then let's go a big brief overview of sole, sole trader tax you've got 0 percent tax for the first 12 and a half the next thirty seven and a half which takes you up to fifty thousand pounds total twelve and a half and thirty seven and a half is twenty um, percent that's the basic rate band of tax and then you've got in between total earnings of 50 and a hundred you're at the higher rate band of tax. Okay. And that's 40%. Now, if you look at the manuals, actually that will go up to 150 grand, but there's a stealth tax in there. And this is a very important thing for, for the listeners. Yeah. Listeners to, to realize, um, I'll go on to the stealth tax in a second. Let me just explain the other things that go hand in hand with sole trade. You've got national insurance, okay? Class two national insurance, it's pittance. It's 150 quid a year. Let's not worry about it. It's, it's actually a good tax to pay because it gets you your credit for your state pension. Very important that you will get 35 years in the state pension to get your full state pension. But class four is essentially tax. That is 0% for the first 9,500. And then it's uh, 9% up from 95 to 50,000. And then over 50, it's 2%. And that 2 percent's in perpetuity all the way up to, to millions of pounds. Um, so if you look at effective tax rates in that bracket, if we just assume 95 and 125 are the same figure, you've got 0% up to 95 kind of 125 And then you've got 29%, 20% tax, 9% national insurance, yeah. up to 50,000 pounds earnings. And then between 50 and 100, you're at 40% tax, 2% national insurance, so 42%, okay? And that's why when we're looking at working out how much tax you should save, we're looking at not 20 and 40% tax, we're looking at 29% tax and 42% tax, because you can't forget national insurance. Student loan, add 9% onto all of that, unfortunately. (sighs) Deep breath. Stealth tax. <laughs> you, hit, you, you can see I, I get excited about these things. No, this, this is literally no, this my is really bread and butter. Interesting this is have interesting
0: because I've never had anybody actually just spell it out and tell me exactly what these constitute word for yeah. word. So I'm listening intently, I must say.
1: Excellent. So let's go on to the stealth tax. Uh, complex, a bit more complex than what I'm talking about. Um, everyone that earns under £100,000 is entitled to that tax-free personal allowance, that £12,500 tax-free. Okay. However, if you start earning over hundred thousand pounds, and there'll be listeners that of course are earning over hundred thousand um, pounds, that twelve and a half starts getting abated. Okay. So for every two pounds over hundred grand you earn, you lose one pound of personal allowance. Put that into context, earnings between a hundred and hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds are taxed at sixty percent effective rate. Okay, you've got your forty percent tax and your twenty percent loss of personal allowance. OK, 2% national insurance in that band as well, that's 62%. If you've still got a student loan and those that, that started university after September 2012 probably do because they've got the highest student loans, um, that's 9%. Yeah. All of a sudden you've got 71% yes. uh, effective rate, 29p to the pound, you're keeping. <laughs> um. And then you get the conversations of what's the point? I might as well enjoy my life more. I might as well not work that extra Saturday and actually enjoy my life. Or I might look at limited companies because I can guarantee if that practitioner, if that dentist is earning 100 grand, he's not earning it or she's not earning it um, by doing NHS dentistry. Yes, there may be some NHS dentistry, but the guarantee there's some private dentistry going on as well.
0: The limited company is a whole other kettle of fish and we've got it stored right here on the classroom for you. coming up there. <laughs> But that is another one that we can flesh out. But income tax in itself, mm. yeah, as I say, I I, I never I, I knew the tax bans. Well, I roughly knew the tax bans, but I didn't quite know the ins and outs of them to that level. Yeah.
1: Well, we've simplified it, James, if I can. We're, what we say to our new clients when they come, we always... Um We always have an an hour consultation face to face. If if we're lucky enough, location's always an issue for us because we operate nationwide, but on the phone, most definitely. Um, And we'll ascertain earnings and then we'll work backwards from earnings, an average amount of expenses to work out exactly what tax, uh, what percentage of their income they should save. Okay, I wanna keep things simple. If I can tell you that if you're an associate earning between four and six grand a month, pretty much hits the majority of associates that uh, you know, that are coming out of their FD year, um, and they've got a student loan. That If they save a third of their income, they'll be all right for tax. They don't need to worry about 40%, 42%, 0% for a bit, et cetera, et cetera, and just dumb it down and keep it as simple as possible. Those that want to learn will ask the questions and we'll have that more detailed conversation, but some just don't want to.
0: Broadly speaking, tw- correct me if I'm wrong, 12... 12- One, two, five, zero, 1250L is your standard tax code. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah. With these exemptions that you're talking about, for your standard sort of associate, maybe on 60, 70K a year, where would you Mm. expect to be able to get that number up to? So just for anybody who doesn't know, when you, 1250L means that, now as I say, again, Mike, it's your forte, so correct me if I'm wrong. 1250L, my understanding of it would be that that means that, before you earn twelve fifty, there is zero tax on that, and that L yeah. signifies that you're on the standard rate. Yeah. Now, with, with your deductions and your exceptions and things like that, that rate can be increased. So, let's say you decide that you've got hundred pounds of business expenses, then that will become twelve sixty L, something like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Correct. But what you're talking about, James, is uh-huh. is very much an employed dentist. Yeah. Okay, someone that's oh. working in hospital which is the big difference. If you're self-employed associate, you won't have a tax code because no one's deducting tax at source. The tax code is for employed dentists that work in hospital uh, or, you know, my dentist and other regional kind of dental roles that are, are appearing at the moment, um, which will allow your employer to deduct tax at source and because they need to deduct tax oh. at source. That's why you get a tax code so they can more accurately deduct your tax.
0: Oh, I, I thought that everybody had a tax code, so there you go, I've learned something as well again tonight. Interesting stuff. My question was gonna be, at what yeah. level do you think we could we should expect to be able to elevate that code after deductions typically. Yeah. And for anybody who is employed, let's let's get into that because they might find that interesting. There'll be there'll be a subsection of dentists listening to this, maybe about 10, 15% who are employed, and perhaps will like to learn that.
1: Absolutely. So it's very important to understand that employed rules is very different to self-employed rules. So employed, you can only there's, there's limited amount of expenses you're allowed to claim. Okay. It's um, to go technical. It needs to be wholly exclusively and necessary for your employment. Okay. And that necessary word is really sticky. It's really difficult to overcome. HMRC don't like it. I've got a I've got a friend who's a paediatrician works in hospital. Uh, we wanted to claim her uh, stethoscope against her tax. Yeah, she needs her stethoscope to do her job. Um, she works in the Royal County in Brighton. It's one I think it's the oldest working hospital in the UK, and um, they don't physically supply, ad- ad- supply adequate alternatives. But HMRC wrote back and say. You're not claiming it because uh, the hospital should be providing you with an, a suitable alternative, and that's the end of the topic. We're not. There's no point even fighting them about it. We could, but once you add in my time and the, the stress and everything else that goes into it for for a, a few quid tax relief on a stethoscope, it's just not worth it. So, with a DCT, a Maxfax, uh, anyone that's following a career in um, in hospital uh, dentistry. Um, you can't claim courses, okay? And this is a fundamental thing that I think is unfair. Courses aren't necessary for employment, okay? HMRC expect all employers to pay for their employees' costs, further qualifications. Of course, we know the NHS aren't going to fund that kind of stuff. Um, and there was actually talks of getting that changed, but HMRC threw it out again. Uh, it was about a year ago, eighteen months ago, they threw that out. So, what I actually advise to a lot of dentists doing DCT. DCT, one, two, three, max fax, et cetera, um, is maybe pick up an associate position, become employed and self-employed, especially if you're doing further qualifications, CPD, et cetera, because then actually you can uh, claim your um, your CPD costs against your self-employment, which will make you more efficient over the next few years whilst you're doing further qualifications.
0: There is no end to the wizardry with taxes. <laughs> there really is it. Wow.
1: I didn't. I didn't answer your question though. I think I sidestepped it. Um, look, as a hospital dent, uh, dentist, GDC indemnity insurance, laundry and cleaning, only eighty quid. Trust me, as a self-employed associate, you claim more than eighty quid for your laundry and cleaning. But eighty quid's what HMRC allowed for an employed dentist, um, uh, and your BDA. I know BDA is not necessary, but if you were bored enough to look up HMRC's list three, you will find BDA on HMRC's list three. I have no idea what list one or two are, um, but list three is the one that you want. Um, and they'll allow that. Other than that, you really, really struggle. You'll get your loops through, of course, but your loops, you'll have to do a tax return for. It's another uh, bit of an administrative burden. Other than that, you can't really get much more uh, claimed. And as we mentioned earlier, James, as an associate, to reiterate, we can look at laptops, iPads, cameras, macro lenses, courses, conferences, um, CPD costs, and, and there's a lot more that we can actually do to uh, bring that tax down.
0: Magic. Anything else we should know about in terms of things that we could be saving on in taxes? We've done exemptions, <laughs> exemptions we've done to death, and that all of that was really interesting. I'm just thinking outside the box now, anything else you would suggest or commonly well, you, 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 you tell people about, advise people on?
1: Yeah, there's, there's, two, there's two or three – again, we're, we're going to stick with expenses just for the, these two or three comments because, um, yeah, you know, I speak, yeah. I speak to a lot of um, young dentists that are finishing their, their FD year, going into their first positions, maybe picking up first associate positions. And, you know, it's, it's about being clever uh, with the tax system if you can. So um, if you're looking at going to, say, like the BDIA, if those things ever get up and running again, yeah, the dental showcase in the NEC or the XL, um or even if you're not but even if you wanted to catch up with your dental school buddies or you know um dental dentists that you know from across the country um if you went to london just for a night out you know catch up that's not tax deductible if you went to the nec uh, or bdia friday so, saw what you wanted to see in the in the uh, bdia stayed overnight then all of a sudden your hotel costs your um your reasonable amount of food and drink whilst you're there become tax deductible yeah your friday night bar bill till when you're out at two in the morning still isn't an allowable expense (laughs) but you're just manipulating that ability to claim tax on something that would ordinarily be a, a personal expense um so making sure you're doing that is 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 quite essential really to minimising that tax. But also, you know, you can look at motoring costs. For for most dentists, motoring costs are tiny. Um, but if you're doing the odd locum, if you have to go to the practice on an emergency, if, uh, you know, you, you, you pick up a, a trip to the lab or whatever, make sure you keep a note of that kind of stuff because, again, you can claim some tax relief against your, your motor running costs. Not loads. Um, dentists that claim loads of motor probably are um, not being overly truthful because dentists just don't do a lot of motor costs unfortunately if you're a principal yeah there's a bit more room for play but as an associate not so much because home to work commuting isn't allowable um making sure you're looking at claiming you know any any tax credits that you're entitled to again as dentists you're not going to be entitled to many you're not you're not in that bracket of, of lower earners that can claim things but uh child benefit for example if you've got children, uh, you can claim that child benefit. If you earn over £50,000, you may need to pay some of it back. If you earn over 60000 you need to pay it all back. But again, if we look at limited companies, as, a, as I think we'll go on to, there's a way to f- flexibly decide what your personal income is Um, And therefore, you may just be able to drop back into into the ability to claim um, those child benefits. Again, you look at the £100,000 mark, there's a horrible uh, limit of if you go over £100,000, and we're talking the higher owner in the household, and again, we're talking with those with children, um, you can no longer claim the 30-hour free uh, childcare, and you can no longer claim uh, tax-free childcare as well, which um, is quite expensive you know you just creep over that then all of a sudden you lose all these benefits so again uh, limited companies maybe allow allow you to manipulate that slightly other than that um no there's not a lot that that you're missing out on uh, you know unfortunately the pandemic tended to miss a lot of dentists uh, the £50,000 limit on um, on profits, And um, obviously, those that are new dentists couldn't claim either. So, uh, And limited companies, again, the support there. But of course, if you were entitled to the self, self-employment self income support scheme, um, make sure that you've been claiming that through the, the pandemic times, the lockdown times.
0: I mean, from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like the expenses in themselves are probably about a book's worth in there. On top of that, it's almost a relief to hear there's not, not too much much more to worry about but i must say this is so much more nuanced than i previously thought it was let's settle the old debate or even if it i don't even know if it is a debate these days i think one's unequivocally better than the other or so lots of accountants would say sole trader versus limited company pros and cons what are your thoughts
1: yeah okay first thing to say it's not black and white and it oh. needs to be on an individual basis. Yeah, uh, if if you didn't have the the, the quirks of dentistry, it, it is a lot more black and white. But with dentistry, it's not black and white. Um, so generally, you need um, decent earnings in order for limited companies to become beneficial. And when I'm talking decent earnings, I'm talking at minimum over six grand a month. Okay, Um, under that, because you're not going to be earning 50 grand a year. And if you're not earning over 50 grand a year, you don't go into the higher rate band of tax. And therefore, you're not going to be saving a lot. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, you may as well be a sole trade dentist. Um, We need to look at the quirks before we can then decide whether... um, limited companies are better or not. And one of the big quirks um, and something I think that, that one of the future podcast is going to fo- focus on, I think you've got an IFA speaking, James, soon. Have you got Luke Hurley coming on?
0: That's correct. Yeah.
1: Next guest. Yep. Excellent. So, uh, so um, he'll speak to you about your pensions, but the superannuation is an issue. OK. And superannuation and limited companies don't go hand in hand. So you've got a choice. You've got three choices. Um you can opt out of superannuation. I can't advise on that. If I could be in the pension, I would be. It's a bloody good pension. Um, Okay. You pay a lot into it, but uh, you'll get a good pension in retirement. Yeah. So don't take that lightly, but you could opt out. And if you opt out, you can put all of your income through that limited company. No problem. Probably advisable. Um, if you're a fully private dentist, you've got no NHS issues and therefore, yeah, fully limited company, no problem. Um, second option, don't be a limited company. And that's always a consideration. OK, so you've got sole trader, you've got limited company with the annoyance of um, Superan or you've got a third option. And this unfortunately does depend on your principal. And if it's Booper or Rodericks, they're not going to let you do it um, for this reason that is a bit backwards uh, it's to do with ir35 it's to do with the employment status of a dental associate um, and they won't allow dentists um, to split their business into nhs and private okay but a lot of my clients if it's worthwhile don't get me wrong you pay more in compliance costs. it's more complex from an accountancy viewpoint so so you know that that cost needs to be taken into consideration and when we do an incorporation appraisal we'll look at cash in pocket for you the client not saving tax there's no point me saving you a grand in tax if you pay me 1500 quid more and you're 500 quid out of pocket um so we'll look at cash in pocket and we'll make sure that by doing this you're going to be better off and the things that for me trigger um incorporation and splitting your business. And splitting your business, as I said, you need your principal's approval. Your principal needs to give you two pay schedules, one with your NHS earnings, your UDAs at £10, £11, whatever you're getting paid, your NHS lab fees at 50%, your superannuation, amount payable to sole trade dentists paid into your sole trade, your normal bank account. Second payslip, private income, 40%, 45%, 50%, whatever your agreed terms are. Private lab fees at 50%, any other private, deductions associated with that that amount paid into your limited company bank account ideally limited company on that pay schedule, ideally two associate contracts okay it's well worth getting the paperwork up and ready and, and involved and proper um you you can then have um the best of both worlds you keep your superannuation and you get some tax savings from a limited company okay um and why you get tax savings from a limited company is because limited companies pay tax flat rate. doesn't matter if it's a pound or 2 million pounds uh, at 19%. Okay. One, 9%. Remember earlier we were speaking 42%, 62% as a sole trader. And you can see the differential in 19 compared to 60, um, potentially 60, 40%. Um And for you guys, especially those that are looking at investing, this is where I get quite excited because, you know, if you can survive, if you can earn 65 grand, the average associate's income, 65, 65 grand, if you can live on 50, then you've got got surplus cash. And if you leave that in a limited company and it just gets taxed at 19% instead of 40%, then you're going to be saving a lot of cash. But what's the point? in having a cash rich company because that company gets more and more cash eh? richer. But then you look at what you can do with it. Okay. Private pension contributions. Yeah. Possible electric cars, really tax efficient at the moment. Why do you think you're seeing a lot of consultants and principals driving the Teslas and the Polestars and the I eight because they're getting good tax relief on them. Um, You can look at dental practice investments. Okay. But not only that, and more interesting for I'm sure, loads of your listeners, James. Uh, cryptocurrency, stocks and shares, other investments, companies can hold all of that stuff, and you can start actually investing in them. Yes, there's more red tape. It's a lot more difficult to go and get. I don't even know if you can, if the crypto guys will allow you to get crypto assets in a company's name. Sorry, don't know the answer to that. HMRC you, don't care.
0: I believe you can. Okay. Yeah, you can. It's a lot more, just like you say, it's more red tape to set up a limited company account on an exchange. Yeah. From my knowledge of it.
1: That's what I thought. Um, it, but it's like gold, you know, a company can invest in gold, any commodity it wants to invest in. And then instead of you guys paying, um, you know, CGT on your crypto, let's look at that, where you're going to pay 20% if you start making some good gains, your company's going to pay 19% on any gains. So you're, um, okay, 20 and 19% isn't a big differential. But if you're talking big amounts, then actually it's quite... Um, it's, it, it, remember, you've got flexibility in a company. The beauty of a company is it pays 19%. And you, you build wealth in this company and it still pays 19%. You only pay any more when you take that cash out. You've got to remember a company is its own entity. That cash isn't yours. You control that cash, but it's not yours until you take it out. When you take it out you pay an additional tax, a dividend tax, okay? Be taxed at 7.5% or 32.5% depending on your other income. But the beauty of it is you decide when you take it out, okay? There was a question on the, um, on the Facebook group which surrounded, I, I don't want to take my cash out because I don't want to pay the tax. Well, there's not a lot actually you can, you can do about that. But if you're looking at your tax differential between you being a sole trader and you being a limited company, Because you're not taking all that cash out, you're automatically saving tax. You take some of it out at a higher rate, you're still saving tax. Yeah, your tax goes up, but you're still saving tax. And the beauty really for me is when this wealth grows and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, trust me, at some point, the tax actually becomes uh, not as important as what it is now because you've got the wealth and you've got, that's there sitting there safe. So if you take an extra 50K out and it costs you an extra 20K in tax, okay, you've got the wealth, yeah? And that's, and that's the beauty of it, especially for anyone looking at building up, uh, you know, decent investments in a company. It's, it's definitely the way to go now because it's, it's just a lot more rigid. It's a lot more safe.
0: Really interesting stuff. And this, this might be a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Obviously, mm. we, we all know about cash ices, things of that yep. nature, where we put the money in, it's uh, tax free. Obviously, yeah. the, the gains on it are tax free, but you get mm. tax coming out the other end. Is there a similar account of along those lines for businesses, limited companies? Probably. I don't think so. I thought I'd ask anyway.
1: No, but this is it's a very good question. So a company can't have an ISA. An ISA is uh, for individuals only. Um and, and really good saving techniques. And, you know, those – you guys out there should be looking at um, putting something away in an ISA without a doubt. I'm not an IFA, but um, that's it's just a sensible thing to do because, like you say, tax-free growth, um, which is which is really beneficial. Um, with a company, if it invests in stocks and shares, okay, you've got your stocks and shares ISA. But if a company invests in stocks and shares, which it can do, it can buy shares in any company. It's completely fine. Again, a bit more red tape. Um Dividends that are paid from um, shares that your company owns are paid tax-free. Okay, there's no tax between a company and uh, between companies on dividends. So if you start actually having a decent shareholding of random shares in your in your uh, limited company or associate company. um, then you're starting to get a passive income into your limited company, um, and then you again decide whether to take that passive income out to, to to spend on your
0: personal living. I tell you what, I'm glad I asked that then because that is really useful, particularly yeah. if you're getting lots of dividends. It's it's compounding, yeah. isn't it? Almost, and then you can you can sorry, uh, this may be again. This might be a silly question. You can use those dividends to reinvest tax free. Yeah, you can. Brilliant! Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah.
1: What's actually interesting with this, and I think it was it was a bit later on in, in my idea of when we were going to bring this up, but it seems to link link quite nicely in, is um, these family investment companies. Okay, so you've got two terms, and actually going back to your terminology thing, the the SPV and family investment companies are two things that I'm going to band out there. So, a special purchase vehicle is just a limited company that does nothing else other than buy a rental property. And if you wanted to invest in rental properties, you would need an SPV probably. Let's park that one and think of rental properties again in a minute. Um, a family investment company, FIC, short has only been around for a few years is when I first heard of it, I think. And again, it's nothing special. It's just a company that holds investments and it can be rent, It can be property, it could be stocks and shares, it could be some crypto assets entirely, what you want it to be. Um, wouldn't generally have your associate income coming in because it's a, it's, it's a family investment company. It may, if you have your associate company for your private income, it may be connected via a group of companies. Again, this gets very, very much more complex and you need to take individual advice. But what a family investment company does is it looks at inheritance tax and capital gains tax planning. And again, for those that are looking at um, passing wealth down generations, instead of having a property that you pass to children, which can be very expensive from capital gains tax and inheritance tax, um, if you have it in a limited company... When they become of age, OK, that tends to mean 18. But trust me, you may not want an 18-year-old boy having um, some control of your family investment company. So you may decide
0: <laughs> to wait a little bit longer. I certainly um, wouldn't have trusted myself. I'll say that much.
1: Yeah, snap. Absolutely. <laughs> um you can pass maybe 5% of the shares to the to the children and you can pass 5% a year later and you can manipulate the tax system to smooth out capital gains tax and smooth out inheritance tax with this thing called a family investment company. So certainly worthwhile thinking about for anyone out there that's keen to, to pass cash down generations.
0: 100%. When you spoke of the red tape earlier, the red tape with regards to storing the money in the company, Obviously, this company is a completely separate legal identity to you yourself as an individual. And then as well as that, from what I know about my my loose, my sort of vague knowledge of limited companies is you're bound by law to always do what's in the best vision at that point for the survival of the company. So where does siphoning off this money fit in? Okay. To you acquiring your money in your hands as an individual versus also doing the best for the company? Because when you start taking loads of money out, that's clearly not in the best, that company's best interest. How do those two marry up or how does that work? Or is that fine? You can take out as much as you want at any time?
1: It's great question. Absolutely fine, unless the company is going insolvent and therefore looks like it's going bust, it's going bankrupt, it can't pay its other debts. What wouldn't be happy is if it's got a bank loan, if it owes some money to, to someone and the directors, shareholders, the owners start taking all the money out and then it can't pay this debt and then it goes bankrupt, then not fine. OK, quite serious. <laughs> of course but so long there's enough cash for the company to survive you take that cash out it's absolutely fine if that cash is surplus to requirements then you take it out it's not a problem at all you know that company makes decisions you make the decisions for that company and paying shareholders a dividend and you are the shareholders is the company's choice and that is what's right for the company at that time because you decide that's what it should be doing so you've got no concerns
0: that was always something that confused me a little bit but yeah, providing you're not in total arrears and this company has got massive bills to pay any of those other yeah. people money, then that's completely fine. Fair enough. So that's yes. yeah, good good news. I'm glad to hear that. That certainly made me think a lot more about whether or not I should decide to get a limited company or not, because that was that was one of the things that held me back and it sounds like I'm sure there's I'm sure there'll be other people in the audience who uh perhaps stop that
1: as well yeah well it's a good question because you're right in saying directors need to to act in the best interests for the company okay and as a, as a small company as we're talking about you would be shareholder and director and therefore you do have statutory duties and one of them is to always act in the best interest of of the company but yeah not a serious issue as you thought it was James.
0: sounds like it mike Thank you so much for all of that. That's been really, really interesting. How do you help you get, I think you've already told us this already indirectly, but how do you Mm. help dentists at Humphrey & Co achieve more tax savings?
1: Okay, so let me me dispel something um, in that it's not always all about tax savings, okay? I want to save my clients tax, yes, absolutely, but I also want to make sure that it's correct, so we're talking about tax, legally tax saving tax. Okay, tax, um, tax evasion isn't, uh, isn't legal. Tax avoidance is legal. You're allowed to avoid tax and you're allowed to structure your affairs to pay as low a tax as possible. And that's what we're going to be doing. And that's where we really get, uh, you know, feel like we're winning and, and adding service. But also it's saving, saving clients tax. It's also saving t- clients time, stress, money and letting them enjoy life more. Because there's nothing worse than always chasing your tail in that vicious circle of tax savings and not having enough to pay and not budgeting adequately. So we're doing the holistic service of making sure our clients are comfortable. Of course, we can't help everyone. Some clients will just go and blow all the money they've got on whatever they want to go and spend it on. But we'll make sure you're saving as much as you should. We'll make sure you're structuring your fares in the best possible ability and we'll do it all um you know at at what i would argue is a reasonable price for the service that that we're performing um i I think you'd be probably surprised as, as as to the fees i think once you take into account tax savings on um on on the accountancy fee of course it's an allowable expense like all your other expenses um you know you go do a day for dare i say a day locum at my dentist or one of the other corporates and get yourself 400 quid in your back pocket for a day's work you're probably there or thereabouts um and would you not rather do a day extra dentistry rather than stressing about your personal tax return overpaying tax on un- illegally underpaying tax um and get a professional to actually give you the reassurance that it's correct
0: Interesting stuff. So if anybody would like to get in touch with Mike, feel free to hit him up. He's on the group. Mike Ryan, of course. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure tonight. I've learned absolutely loads. Thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you, James. It's It's been really good to speak to you.
0: Smashing stuff. We're going to delve into some questions from the group now, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So first up on the post... We've got Cameron Curry. Shout out to Cameron Curry. He's asked a question that we've already touched upon already. He would like to know if a limited company can buy and hold crypto. I believe they can, Cameron. I don't know the exact details. You may, unless Mike can offer any more insight on that.
1: HMRC will will absolutely accept it. It's not an HMRC issue. It may be a cryptocurrency issue, and that's something that I don't have the knowledge in, unfortunately.
0: I've never done it myself, Cameron, but I believe you can. I'm not as I'm not entirely exactly sure as to how you might go about that. The second question providing they can own cryptocurrency does that change the SIC code of the limited company?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So your SIC code uh is is an indicator as to what your, your what your company does. So if you're talking about an associate company that's bringing in 80 grand a year and you've got, say, a thousand pounds worth of crypto assets in there, I would argue that's not material. It's not substantial enough to change the SIC code. If you're doing the same thing and actually the, the cryptocurrency is, is 20 grand, the asset, then yes, you probably should consider changing the SIC code. Who cares about the SIC code? Not many people except the banks, to be perfectly honest. That's where they they will uh, measure their risk if they're going to lend to you um so technically yeah if it's if it's a reasonably sized um investment you should be changing your sit code
0: there's a third part to this question hiding in here as Mm. well if a limited company buys the crypto does that have to be done with profits after tax or is the purchase classed as an asset and therefore deductible from profits before tax
1: yeah that's a great question um so Imagine, and if you go back to simplicity, we ignore crypto. Imagine we're talking about US dollars. Okay, um, it's a bit easier for for uh, for illustrative purposes. If you go and buy a thousand pounds in US dollars, okay, do you think you're going to get tax relief on that purchase of a thousand US dollars?
0: Me, uh... no. <laughs> no, is the short answer no? Because I was going to say, yeah. does it depend if it's in a spread betting account or something like that?
1: Well, the short answer is no. You, you, all, you, all you've done is you've transferred a thousand pounds into, I don't know, $1,100. Okay, that's not an expense. That's not a deduction. Right. Uh, you don't get tax relief on that because all you've done is moved something from one cash to another cash. And that's all you're doing with crypto. Okay, it's not a deductible expense. You don't get tax relief on it. Uh, it's held as an asset. And if you start making gains, which is obviously the aim of the game, um, then you would pay tax on that gain. Um, and again, sole trade, 10 or 20%. Limited company would be
0: 19%. Britain is one of the few countries in the world that actually has really clear, quite clear rules on crypto assets. So your capital gains, now again, Mike, it's your forte. Your capital gains kicks in, uh, the figure is 12,600 a minute, correct?
1: Twelve three, I think. Twelve three hundred, beg your pardon. So <laughs> don't quote
0: me. <laughs> over and above that, it only happens if you crystallise so you realise your profits. So you you can have Bitcoin, you can have one Bitcoin, it's worth ten thousand, it goes to twenty thousand. You don't owe any tax unless you sell it. Yeah if it exactly. Goes, if it goes back down below ten thousand then, uh well then at that point you, you still don't know any tax even if you do sell it at that stage because you haven't sold over that threshold providing you have no other assets yeah. america is an interesting one if uh, you you'll know more on this than me but i believe you have to pay taxes on your unrealized profit in america even on uh, even on stocks.
1: america is uh yeah america is has the worst tax system in the world okay <laughs> so we're actually as a firm one of the few that can advise on u.s taxes if you look at the top 10 you'll get u.s tax in there but our tax partner can do u.s tax returns um and i speak to him about it quite regularly i've got a few american clients and it's just a nightmare it's horrible and i'm not even going to pretend to understand it but you're right in that you can pay a lot of tax on things actually cash you don't have in the uk as you mentioned uh, you only pay that gain if you crystallize it now um, Actually, what used to happen is a lot of people used to say investment in Bitcoin was gambling and therefore tax free. Gambling in the UK is tax free. You go to the casino, win, rare, rare I get, um, but you you won't pay any tax on that. And what they used to say, oh, Bitcoin's never going to go anywhere and therefore it's a gamble. And if it pays off, then I'm not paying any tax on it. HMRC chucked that out the window not so long ago and no longer will accept that as as a reasoning, unfortunately. And there you go into what you've got is either CGT or income tax. And don't get me wrong, some of you out there may be trading to an extent which is such of, uh, time consuming that you should be um, um, thinking perhaps, I don't, I don't want anyone to, but thinking that that's income and not capital gains and therefore 20 or 40% tax and not 10 or 20% tax.
0: Interesting stuff, and that's the whole reason why spread betting works as well, isn't it because it's packaged in the form of gambling effectively you'll know more than
1: me't yeah. yeah. are yeah yeah yeah,
0: but yeah, can you imagine I, that? I think so again not i I'm, yeah i I mean again, it's not my forte, but so it, so my understanding of it would be that i can the i feel sorry for the poor chaps who trade stocks over in America. I tell you what because you can you could have a real rough one there, <laughs> couldn't you you could have you could have well, one thing yeah
1: yeah you can absolutely one thing i was going to say is um you've got to be careful with those that do multiple trades okay so if you go from a bitcoin to uh, a different cryptocurrency that is yeah. a crystallization yeah. and you need to keep a spreadsheet or a detailed um uh, something i think you can get bots to do it now and things like that of tracking your Every time you move from one to another, that is crystallization. So it's a lot more complex for those that are pulling in and out of different crypto all the time.
0: Yeah, I, I, do, it, I do it using a spreadsheet. But there are people, I recently became aware, someone told me from the group actually, that you can, the, the exchanges will print out a full history of your transactions, which you can use. But yeah, that's oh, amazing. Point. Isn't it? It's, it's a taxable event, isn't it? And it doesn't just apply yeah. if you turn it back to pounds. It can be another Next. cryptocurrency. It can be anything because that, otherwise, yeah. that would be a massive loophole in the system. You could just turn yeah. all your profits into Bitcoin and then never pay tax.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I didn't know tax could be interesting. That's a new one for me. <laughs> and I say that I say that with zero sarc- sarcasm, irony, anything like that. <laughs> Honestly, I did actually learn a ton tonight, and I, it's it's maybe about ten times more nuanced than I thought It was. And I, for one, probably won't attempt filling in my own tax gains again, my, my tax returns again, because <laughs> I think I'm missing out on an absolute ton there. Mike, J- think- James, the, the, the day that I, um,
1: I su- suggest the dentist does their own tax return is the day I do my own tooth extraction or tooth fillings.
0: So. Oh, I see. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Put it in terms we can understand. Thank you very much. Mike, My pleasure. It's been absolutely tremendous tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show, giving out so much value. It's been a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you so much, James. Great great speaking to you. And like I say, if anyone wants to get in touch, just drop me a message on Facebook. You'll find my contact details.
0: Absolutely. Mike's in the group if you'd like to speak to him. Mike, I'm going to let you get off now and enjoy the rest of your evening. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good man. Cheers, James. Top stuff. Hope we speak very soon. See you later. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.